everybody. You are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. I think it all comes back to awareness. Whenever I work with a new client, I ask them, how much does it cost to be you? How much does it cost to have your lifestyle? And a lot of people don't know. And I was asking myself, how much does it, is it going to cost for me to support myself personally in my business and still invest to the extent that I want to invest in to become financially independent at X age? And it was, you know, this number. And then I reverse engineered it, worked backwards of, okay, if I'm doing this much, I need to save 25% for taxes, business expenses, whatever. So that's kind of how it, I think it all stemmed from just awareness of my numbers. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. I am really happy that you're here today because you're not going to want to miss this one. I am actually interviewing today Haley Kovaleski, who has started the Fem Financial Platform, which I'm all about as many fiscal feminist, any kind of gal platform going on about money and women. And she has quite a track record. Two years ago, she decided that she had the goal of teaching millennial and Gen Z women about money. And she started her community. And since then, she's got over 250,000 followers across all of the different platforms, Instagram, TikTok. And she's teaching thousands of women about financial wellness, about financial organization and investing. And I really want to talk to her about so many things today because I think this is a very important mission. It's a calling. And she's quite a young woman who's, I think, on the cutting edge and ahead of her time in some ways because she's raising the alarm and trying to get everybody to focus on this because it's super important. So welcome, Haley. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today at The Fiscal Feminist. I'm glad that you're with us. And I think you are in Los Angeles at the moment. So hopefully you don't have the June gloom that we're having here in San Juan Capistrano down in Orange County. Is it gloomy? I've had it all year. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. I feel like I have to go to Palm Springs just to see a sun ray. Thanks so much to be on the coast for the nice weather and and this is what we get. <laughs> exactly. And we our expectations are set that we actually expect the sun every day. And when it doesn't show up, we're like, uh, I want my money back and I'm moving <laughs> somewhere else. Okay, so I want to get right into it because I am absolutely intrigued and I know that everyone listening is intrigued. I would like to just you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, what was your journey? What were you doing before you did this? How did you come to do this? And in when, why are you doing this? Yeah, thank you. Um, so this started off definitely as a passion project of mine. I grew up in a household like many people where money wasn't spoken about. And it was really interesting growing up. I always refer to it like the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I had one parent who was good with money and one who was very much YOLO, throw it away. The kids can take on all the debt in the world. So seeing that really started to pique my interest of of personal finance. And then when I graduated from university, I got my first, you know, big girl job at a big recruiting firm in Los Angeles. And when we were eligible to start our 401ks, I asked all the women in the office, like, how do we start this? What do we invest in? And nobody knew. 
And that's when I started working. I realized, okay, I don't love this job. I can't do it for forever. I know money is the ticket to financial freedom, but I don't understand how money works. That's when I started learning about it on my own. And eventually I learned that this field, and I think you're the same way, has been made to be seem so much more complicated than it is and that it could be broken down into more like bite-sized tangible pieces. And that's when I started posting about it and building my business on the side of my recruiting job. And it just kind of grew from there. So let me ask you a question. What did you study in college? Was it finance? Was it economics? Was it history? Were you an English major? I studied global studies. I went to UC Santa Barbara. We have very um, yeah, theoretical majors over there. So I studied mm-hmm. languages. My first love was, was travel. I took a gap year in between high school and college and traveled all over the world. And then I got to college and, and I finished in three years there. And while I was there, I got involved with a program that was very entrepreneurial heavy. So I actually started my first business in college. I was door okay. knocking. I was doing all of that. That's when I learned about sales and marketing, things like that. And then I went into recruiting. And then now finance. So you were doing recruiting like at a, a big recruiting firm or what kind of recruiting was it like at a corn ferry type thing or? Exactly. Yeah, I did executive search. It was ex- exactly, exactly like a corn ferry. The, per, the uh, company's called Michael Page and I recruited specifically in supply chain, which is a very niche part of the mm-hmm, market. Mm-hmm. And I recruited for consumer goods companies in Los Angeles specifically in beauty and in wellness, food and beverage, so consumer goods. And then I went into tech. So I was actually at Apple for a year. And okay. then I was on a one-year contract at Apple. And when that was coming to an end, I was I was like, I don't think I'm going to go interview anywhere else. I think I'm going to go into my business full-time. And that was in July 2022, June about a year ago, actually, June, July 2022. So let me ask you about that because I'm always very interested. I have interviewed another person a few weeks ago who was actually a colleague of mine. He was our kind of co-CIO or co-chief investment officer. And then he left to start his own equity research firm. And I talked to a lot of people that do this pivot, but I always want to ask like, A, how did you prepare financially for that before you made the pivot? Obviously, You're a very savvy gal. I can tell from your Instagram page and all the stuff that you understand, the emergency fund and all that stuff. But tell our readers exactly like what went through your head. Like it was, was it like spontaneous or was it like, okay, I have this amount of money saved. I need this amount of money to put into my business. Were you afraid? What made you feel confident enough to do this? And how how did you lay the, the infrastructure for doing it so you weren't, you know, like living up against it and getting into debt? I think that's one of the best questions that you could have asked because there's so many people now. I, I hear Gen Z is the generation with the most side hustles that's ever, yes. like they're doing the most work. So I know a lot of them are thinking, how do I make this pivot? And this pivot was a long time coming. First off, when I started my side business, I never knew that it was going to turn into something I would do full time. But then when I started making enough for me to live off of and invest my entire paycheck from my nine to five, I was like, okay, yeah. I have here. And I was really, I think everyone who is going to make that pivot is really scared to do, you know, it's a scary thing. And so I being in finance, really overprepared. So I was planning on leaving my job probably almost a year, eight months to a year before I actually left it. And I remember filming this countdown of like six months left, five months left, like I was planning on making the exit. And being in finance, I knew I needed to track my expenses because I had to know how much 
do I need to make in order to go into my business full time to support my lifestyle? So I was really in my numbers about six to eight months leading up into quitting. I needed, I was like, okay, I am spending, you know, 4k, 5k a month or however much it was. Right. I need to make sure with taxes on top of that, Yes. You know, paying my taxes that I am bringing in 10 to 15 K months in my business. Am I at that level in order to support my expenses and my taxes and continue investing to the level that I want to invest in? Because my journey is very much investing heavy. Just to clarify, that's your personal investing. And then did you simultaneously do a business plan to see what you were going to, your projected income would be based on what you were making and then any investment in that business. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I, all, all the above. Yeah. So I was doing, I need to make X amount. And so leading up to that too, I think this will help. I built a business emergency fund. So I had my personal emergency fund of about 10 K and then it was really important for me to build and save a business emergency fund of about 15 K 10 to 15 K before I left my job. So I was at Apple, I was making a lot of money and I was also making money on the side. So I went hard. Another thing that I did prior to going into my business full time, because I was left it in June of 2022. So halfway through the year, I went hard and maxed out my 401k for the year too at Apple. So I was doing a lot to put this in motion. But I, it was really important for me to have a personal and a business emergency fund because I didn't want to have the pressure of, you know, you go into your business full time and you have to make money right away full time right. because that's a really hard place to create from when you have this scarcity mindset of, oh shit, like, am I going to make this money or not? So that's what I oh did. My God. I, really- I, ha- I have to stop you right there because what right. you just said, I want you to repeat this. This is so profound, guys. I love that you said when you're trying to build a business and I've tried to, you know, I've done this a couple of times in my life. I had a fashion business and also this platform is kind of a side hustle in a sense to my wealth management business. But what you said about the scarcity mindset and how it will affect the creative endeavor of what you're trying to create, if you are so frightened by the lack of resources that you can't build the side hustle, then it's just going to contract. And I just think what, first of all, I love this idea of a business emergency fund for people who are doing a side hustle that they want to create. So brilliant. Thank you. I've never heard anyone use that, that term before. And I think that you are onto something here. So you somehow knew that if you, that this just, I want you to elaborate a little bit on that scarcity mindset that you knew that if for some reason you were struggling to kind of keep up your business expenses, whatever they might be, because you know, there are expenses with having a website and creating courses and all those things that it was going to probably make you freak out and maybe throw the whole thing up, you know, throw your hands up in the air and say, I'm just going to go back to my nine to five. How did you come upon that thinking? Just elaborate for our audience, because I think this is an intangible, but it's so key to success. Exactly. I think it came from tracking my expenses for the six to eight. Well, I've been tracking my expenses since about 2020, 2021. And it came from that of seeing, okay, my numbers for personal, but my business expenses on top of that are anywhere from like 1k to even 3 or 4k per month so i had to have that but i think it all comes back to awareness whenever i work with a new client i ask them how much does it cost to be you how much does it cost to have your lifestyle and a lot of people don't know and i was asking myself how much does it is it going to cost for me to support myself personally in my business and still invest to the extent that i want to invest in to become financially independent at x age 
And it was, you know, this number. And then I reverse engineered it, worked backwards of, okay, yeah. if I'm making this much, I need to save 25% for taxes, business expenses, whatever. So that's kind of how it, I think it all stemmed from just awareness of my numbers. And awareness is so important. And I think that is the main thing. If you know how much money you have coming in and you know how much money you have going out, then that is the basis for a lot of analysis and planning and strategy, because those are the two most important numbers that you need to know. And most people don't know that. The other thing I really want to highlight here that I think is, is very admirable is that you put you continue to make investing for yourself a priority. So it sounds to me and confirm that if the investing part was competing with the investing in your business part, you would somehow manipulate the investing in your business part to make sure you could hit your personal investing target. Is that right? Yeah. So this, I didn't read this book until I was well into my business, but this book talks about this well and it's the idea of profit first and how I the the book is called profit first and it's this idea that business owners are running their businesses for 10 15 20 years especially women female business owners and you ask them when can you step away when can you retire which is the goal for all of us why we're building this business is yes of course to serve but also to create this life where eventually we don't need to work and you would ask these women they're like I invested everything into my business I never took any money for myself I never invested in my Environment. So for my logic and my thinking and why I track my expenses still to the extent to this day is I have my income coming in. I have obviously my needs, but investing is my top priority for my future. And then if I have, you know, whatever money is left, of course, I'm going to invest in my business, then high priority wants and low priority wants come last for me. So I just, again, I know because I reverse engineer my numbers, I need to be investing about 2K per month. Like that's my goal. So like mm-hmm. that, is, it's kind of like a mandatory bill. I make myself pay every month. There's no missing. Right. And do you automate that? Is it like automated to your investment account or how do you do that? I have about a quarter to a half of it automated, I would say. The rest I kind of do, but I make sure I hit that number every month. So even if I haven't hit it by the end of the month, then I'm putting any excess in there. But I usually go a little over. And so now that you're you're doing, are you working a another job at all now? Or are you strictly doing your side hustle as your business? Yeah, I left recruiting, so I'm full-time finance coaching. So you maxed out on your 401k when you were at your job. Now you're a business owner, so you have an IRA, I'm assuming. I have a self-employed 401k. Okay, so you're, you started your own 401k and you're still worrying about your retirement money. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. You're doing some tax deferred savings. So it sounds like you, I mean, and I think what Haley is saying here, and this is why you should follow her and check out her website for the FEM financial course, because I think this reverse engineering, this reverse, you know, analysis after you figure out the numbers that you have is really the key to success in building a business and or building your own personal net worth. And, you know, net worth is a combination of anything that you can have make into liquid money and then any liabilities that you have and you subtract the liabilities from the assets and that's your net worth. So we always would like that to be in the black, as they say, positive. And our whole trajectory should be about building net worth because that's what's going to carry you through in retirement or if for some reason you need to stop working or whatever the case may be because there's so many 
turns in life that you cannot anticipate. And trust me, I'm old. I've had a lot of them myself. So, you know, you just, what my 29-year-old self thought was going to happen at my 64-year-old self is, Mm -hmm. wow, I, I couldn't be more different. I would never, ever have imagined this would be my life right now. Never in a bazillion years. Okay, so you're called, let's talk about the name, the Femme Financial. Yeah. Why Why did you come up with that name and what does it mean to you and, and just why? That's actually a funny question. I haven't really been asked it. So I'm queer. And so I identify in the queer world. We have like femme lesbians, things like that. Uh, I identify more as a femme, but I have also, um, femme also in French means woman. And I speak French a bit, like I've yes. lived in oh. France. And so it's kind of a play uh, play on both of those because it's like it, it hints to the queer community it also hints to women and then financial coaching because I'm a money coach so that's where the name comes from well I love the name and I love it on so many levels and I think uh c'est bon that you speak French <laughs> so there you go um all my kids kind of speak French because their father is a native French speaker he's Belgian and French and American so it's a really good language to have especially if you go to Paris and um I don't know Who doesn't love Paris, right? Okay, so is your target audience, do you speak mainly to women? And if so, why? And what do you think some of the, you know, unique financial challenges are for women over men? Yeah, I would say, (laughs) this is going to sound funny. I target basically everybody, but like straight white men. So very marginalized groups of people. people I think they have enough people targeting them. You don't, we don't need to worry about straight white men. They're doing just fine. Uh, So, I mean, I would say about 96% of my following on, on Instagram is women on TikTok. I think it's in the high eighties. So I do attract primarily women and I find that it's easier to communicate to them because when I try to speak to again men about it particular group of men it's it's like they are very set in trying to outperform the market beat the market tell me that what i'm doing is like wrong or boring or whatever and i challenge that to say investing isn't supposed to be exciting like gambling and the way that men versus women invest their money and save their money is just so different so i speak to women because historically as you are very aware, this industry has not been tailored to them. It's been more like you'll see articles like for men, you know, go invest your money, take risks. And for women, it's like, here's how to coupon. Here's how to budget. Here's how to save. And so it's just in allowing women to see that this industry is for them. And it's a very powerful way for them to build their wealth and get money. So I would say barriers that women have in general, well, we've been kept out of the conversation for so long. So there is a little bit of fear. There's a little bit of, you know, we live in a very patriarchal society of, oh, maybe the men handle the finances. I can be a little bit more hands-off with it when in reality, no, you need to be very hands-on. We were speaking about this before we started recording about how a man's not a plan, a woman, even a woman's not a plan. Um, Right, you're the plan. You are the plan, yeah. We are all our own plan. Yeah. So I think it just empowering women in particular, again, people with more marginalized groups that systems are in place that have been put in place that are keeping you from building wealth. You have to be aware of them and we have to, you know, go through them and build money for ourselves. So systems in place such as, in my opinion, like predatory student loans. I think the student loan and, and like education field is so overly expensive And I think that black women hold the most student loan debt 
be aware of that. Like you have student loan debt. How can we get out of that faster? How can we avoid some of these predatory loans that are charging you more in interest? Also car loans, car salesmen. Every time I've coached a woman of color who has a car loan, their interest rate is always higher than a white woman. It just is. And even if they have the same, the same credit rating. Yep. Yeah, that's outrageous. That's outrageous. So it's like there's a lot going on that it sucks and it sucks that it like redlining that these there are these things in place. But education is the way through because the stock market doesn't discriminate, it doesn't know it, what gender you are, what race you are, how old you are. You could anybody has access to it. So that's why it's so important to educate people around it. Well, and I think I think to your point, I mean, look, I grew up in the 70s. Not many people were talking to women about finances or money because everyone just assumed you're going to get married and, you know, that was your plan. But the thing is, the narrative has been way, you know, like in 1976, when I graduated from high school, a woman couldn't get a credit card if she was married without signature of her husband or if she wasn't married, a brother, but there had to be a male counterpart signing for her to get a credit card. Now, yes, I am old, but I'm not that old and Mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago. So the thing is, we as a group of people haven't really had the narrative about talking about money. And even, you know, when you look into the 18th, 19th, early 20th century, you know, sometimes women couldn't even own property and property they did own prior to getting into a marriage was then given to the husband and it became his property. So there's a long historical narrative and anachronistic thinking that we have to kind of really overcome so women feel comfortable about talking about money. And then there's also the fact that we still make, and this is primarily for white women, it's worse for black women and Latina women, are still making 82 cents on the dollar. So we have to overcome that. And Haley's 100% right in the sense that the stock market, with all of its volatility over the years, is the most effective way to grow your money. So I'm all about people investing um, because that's what I do for a living. I am you know, wealth manager, as many of you know who listen to me. I spend a lot of time thinking about how people should invest uh, their money and also how they should set themselves up for success. But I also know that you have to have other things in place and your infrastructure in place before you start plunking a lot of money into the stock market with even possible volatility and loss, even if you're diversified and you have kind of a a moderately positioned uh, portfolio. But I want to ask you a a question about uh, Gen Z women in a minute. But first, since we're talking about investing, how do you tell people to start investing and are there certain things they should have in place before they start investing? Mm -hmm. What's your philosophy? There's two questions there. It's like, how do we get people interested in this when they don't think it's for them or they think it's scary? And for them, I usually, I, this is where the internet is so powerful because you can show, you know, like pictures or graphics and numbers in a really cute form of like, okay, this woman starts at age 25. This woman doesn't start until she's 45. Look at the difference in their investment portfolios. And people are like, wow, wait, I don't want to wait until I'm 45. How should I get started earlier? And so I think that now with TikTok and with Instagram, there is a lot more conversation going on because I too coach women in their forties and in their fifties. And they're like, we were never taught this. I'm like, there's no, there weren't, there wasn't social media when you were growing up. There was, like you said, you know, women could even get bank or like uh, credit cards, things like that. So I think just 
catching people's attention. It's like in this space, it's, it's a little, just sorry to go off on a little tangent. It's like, how do I compete with like people who are scrolling and they're seeing like cute puppies and kittens and recipes and like fun stuff. And then I come in and I'm like, open up a Roth IRA. You know, you have to do it in a very like a strategic way, like an entertaining way. So that's how we get it, how I capture people's attention and get them interested in investing. That's one step. And then your second question was how to prepare before you start investing. And that's something that we touched on earlier in this conversation is first thing is awareness of what options are even available for you. If you're working, you have a 401k, if you're, um, maybe your employer doesn't offer a 401k, there's the Roth IRA, even if they do, it's still a powerful account to open. So just explaining and being aware of what accounts are even available and how to open these things and why, like the tax advantage pieces of them. But the the foundational piece is emergency fund. You and I both know the importance of this. You are in a marriage, you have three kids, you know, it's that in, in case anything goes to crap, you have money to leave a situation that you don't want to be in. That's the most powerful part. Keeping your high interest pay, you know, credit cards paid off. That's another part of your foundation before you go heavy into investing et cetera, et cetera. Understanding how much money you're bringing in, what it costs to be you. So all of these pieces, it's kind of like a bike where you have two pedals. You can't just go straight into investing without having your foundation gone. You can't just always be saving, saving, saving and not investing or else your bike won't move either. So that's right. So one thing I would say, and I think we can all agree on this, is you need to have your personal finance house in order. So I would, you know, obviously I think budgeting is something everyone should do. And there's so many easy ways to do it. Now there are apps, there's just a million ways to do it. You don't have to get your Excel spreadsheet out and hammer away at that if you don't want to. You can get, you know, different apps that will actually tell you how much you're spending each month and how much is uh, coming in and tell you when you're overspending and all that stuff. I do think emergency funds are essential But I also think paying down credit card debt almost to zero before you start investing in my personal philosophy is extremely important because it's easy for credit card debt to kind of linger and not get the attention it needs when it's super burgeoning in somebody's life. And then obviously maxing out on a 401k or an IRA or whatever is on offer to you. If you, you know, if you don't work for a company with a 401k, then you can do a Roth IRA or traditional IRA, or you could do a SEP IRA if you have a company. There are many different ways to do that and you can explore those on the internet. So when you tell people about investing, then how do you guide them at at the next level? So I know that you don't have to have, you know, you can do fractional investing, you can invest with $20. And the whole point is just to get that momentum going. But what do you recommend to someone who's starting off? And there's so many different philosophies as to how people should invest. But what is your, what is your recommendation to someone who says, okay, um, I've got the emergency fund, I've got the credit card debt in control, I have my budget, now yeah. I can invest uh, $5,000 in the next year. What would you tell them to do? I, I think my philosophy is simple as best, like don't overcomplicate it. I think people go into, oh, like what are all the stocks I should buy? It's like, no, let's take a step back. Are you working? So like understand, I think even taking a step back from there is understanding that investing, like the big, the first thing I, I always say is, is your mindset around investing is that it needs to be a long-term game. Like the, your money is going to be the most powerful the longer you let it just sit there and do its job and compound and grow. So knowing that 
the longer you let it go in there, why don't we start with an account that's tax advantage that you can't even touch until you're 60 years old, like a retirement account. And I think one step further from there is why retirement account? Well, you and I spoke about this. We have a huge retirement savings crisis, especially in the U.S., but globally as well, especially for women. Women are not saving or investing enough for retirement. So they're getting into their 60s, their 70s, 80s, and then they're running out of money. The biggest expense in your life isn't your education. It's not your home. It truly is your retirement. Like there's going to be a time where where you don't want to work or you cannot work and you want to start saving and investing for future you. So knowing that your money is going to be the most powerful, you have a really big expense coming up later in your life and you have these accounts that are tax advantage built to support you later on in life. Let's start there because they're the easiest things that you can start investing in and like with an employer 401k, I think it's so powerful because that money comes out before you can ever spend it. It's like out of sight, out of saving for your future self. So that's where I start and say, okay, does your employer offer a 401k? Do they have a match? Do you know what a match means? It's free money. It's Mm -hmm. money that they're giving you, but you have to contribute up to that match. So let's start there. Okay. Well, experts, we started there. We're doing 5%. You're 25 or however old experts recommend to invest at least 20 to 25%. You're at 5%. That's the gap we need to start closing. Okay. So maybe next year we do seven, then nine, then 12, then 15. Let's slowly start increasing the amount that we can do. And Mm -hmm. then like just getting them started and starting to see like the importance of why is how I get people started. And in tax, so say they've maxed out on their 401k and this person, this fan, you know, this, uh, person that we're our example person, they've now maxed out on their 401k and they're, they want to kind of get a taxable account going, a brokerage account of some sort. And I, I have a lot of people ask me this and I'm all about diversification. I think you have to diversify. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't really buy much with, you you can't buy one stock with 5,000. I mean, you might be able to, but you're not, you're going to be very concentrated in one holding, which will, you know, you'll live and die by that holding. But when you, so when they've got done all the retirement stuff, what are you telling them? Like, should they invest in ETFs? Or are you thinking about, should they have a diversified group of index funds? Like, are you getting into that with them? Or are you giving them tools as to where to find out how to do that? Exactly. I'm not an advisor, so I can't tell anybody what to invest in. But my big thing is education of like, this is what the professionals are doing. This is why they're doing that. Here's how You can pick a fund that replicates what the professionals are doing, like a target date fund or something like that. But to put this in very layman speak, it's like you say, okay, they max out their 401k. I think the stat is only about 14% of people in the U.S. are actually maxing out their 401k. And when we say maxing, I think people get really it's like $20,000 if you're under the age of 50. If you're 50, it's like twenty seven or 28000 now. So $20,000 out of your pre-tax money, even though you get a tax advantage from that, that is still a big amount of money for a lot of people to take out of their, their take-home yeah. pay, right? And, and also to your point, I do want to say one thing. If you aren't maxing out um, and you're contributing what you can, even if you can start like a small taxable account, the reason that I've been, I kind of talk about this a little bit is I have a lot of people that come into my orbit and they're maybe in their late fifties and they'll say, I, I want to retire now. And I have all this money in retirement savings. And the thing about retirement savings, unless it's in a Roth, is a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k will allow you to take distributions when you need them after 59 and a half without having to pay taxes because you put post-tax money into a Roth. 
With a traditional IRA and a 401k, you're putting in money before you've paid taxes on it. That's the tax advantage of it. But there is that period of time, and I want people to think about this a little bit. I don't want to muddy the waters, but I have talked about this a lot and it is relevant, is that if you happen to retire at 58 or 59 or you want to, before your social security kicks in and before you have to take stuff from your traditional IRA or your 401k, right now the age is 73. So if you can take money from other places to fund your retirement before you become 73, that's preferable because you don't want to pay ordinary income taxes on the money you're going to get from your IRA in your retirement because your tax bill goes way up earlier in your retirement than you want it to be. So it's always better to try to get that bridge money between retirement and when you turn the age that you have to take required minimum distributions from your 401k or your traditional IRA from a taxable account, like a regular brokerage account, because all the money you get taxed on from there will be at the 15 to 20% range as opposed to the higher ordinary income range. So it is kind of important to do both if you can. If you can do a little bit to your 401k and your IRA, a little bit to a brokerage account, I think that's the best way to, I don't know what the saying is, like split the baby or whatever that saying is. That's the Mm -hmm. best way to kind of go down the middle of the road and make sure you've got both of those things covered. Because I have had a lot of people come in with just retirement money and Literally, they have uh, they have enough to maybe retire later, but certainly not in their late 50s, and they don't have a taxable account. And it's like, well, yeah, you can start taking money out at 59 and a half, but you're going to be paying ordinary income taxes on this. And if you live to 100. Yeah, or you can start taking money out of money that you contributed to a Roth, but I really don't want them to touch that either until they like have to no. have to. So you're right. So yep, a normal taxable brokerage is really important as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just something to think about. And there's so much information about how to start. I mean, there, you know, there's many platforms, you know, all of them, Vanguard, Morningstar, Elvest, you know, Robinhood. But I I really, you know, I would say just don't market time. Haley mentioned that. People who market time never make money. It's a statistical fact. So um, you can't, just, you know, you should be in it for the long term and have a really solid strategy of diversification across different um, types of holdings, which means stocks, bonds, and alternatives or uncorrelated investments so that you have the whole picture there. So let me ask you, Haley, I'm older, you're younger. How do you feel millennials and Gen Z have, what are their their issues and their barriers and things that they have to confront that are a little bit different than, you know, people of my baby boomer generation? Yeah, there's a lot between the different generations. I mean, millennials were graduating in the 08 crisis, housing crisis, when there weren't a lot of horrible time of it. (laughs) Older millennials. And then you have younger, younger millennials and Gen Z, you know, we had COVID, Gen Z saw saw our parents, saw their parents go through the 08 crash. And a lot of them were affected by that. And then you had a lot of them born around 9-11. And then they were graduating, you know, high school, starting college right around, you know, COVID. And so there's a lot of like, there's why I'm, I'm bringing all of this up is there's two mindsets that I see a lot with Gen Z and millennials. One is like, 
a little bit fear-based. Like I want to hoard my money, not invest it because who knows like what's going to happen. But then there's also a lot, this other idea of why would I invest my money? The world's going to shit. Like, look what you guys right. left. Yeah. You left us a horrible climate. There's a crash. You know, there's all this stuff happening. Wages aren't keeping up with inflation. I can't buy a house. And so they're like, why would I even invest my money? Because YOLO, like, I'm not even going to ever retire anyways. So it's battling against some of that, I would say. And how do you think um, Gen Z people feel about like work and how to work, which relates to how to make the money to invest? Are they disappointed or generally or are they optimistic or are they just less concerned about money? Like baby boomers, like in my generation, you know, we're products of the 80s and that was, I mean, you're probably too young to remember, you know, Wall Street and all those crazy movies. But, um, you know, it was really all about like money and flashiness and no one thought about anything meaningful at the time because we still weren't really talking about, you know, climate change. I mean, we were, but not very much. So what do you think the general mindset is right now? I mean, it's a shame if people think they're not, there's no reason to invest because they're not going to be around. I mean, what, what are they thinking? Yeah, there's kind of two pieces of that. You asked how they think about work and career, in which case I see there's a lot less, you know, during, you know, more your generation, you stayed at a company for a very long time. Now with the internet, we're, it's kind of the flip side. If we see an employer not really showing up for their employees, we don't owe them loyalty. There's no pension anymore. So you see a lot more job right. hopping. And then there's yeah. a lot more of this movement I would say there's a lot of people who are still very passionate about their career and the spaces that they go into. And it's this conflict of, do I go into this space that I'm passionate about that doesn't pay very well? And a lot of people do go that route. Um, Or do I just go collect my paycheck? And this is where this new idea that comes is coming up a lot on social media of your, there is no dream job. We don't dream of labor. There's no dream job under capitalism. There may be dream aspects of a job, maybe having an employer that or a manager that you like or, you know, having unlimited PTO plan. But but there's no like dream job. So knowing that there's no dream job, quote unquote, then use your 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 job, use your income to fund and build this life that you do love outside of work if you don't love your job. And so, I mean, I personally love my job. Because of what I built, I didn't see a career out there, a job out there that I wanted or a company out there that I wanted to be working for. So I built my own and like I can say I love my job. But, you know, if I didn't have to work, (laughs) I wouldn't work, you know. So I think um, with Gen Z is telling them if I could tell anything to somebody who's about to go into college before they take all their student loans, I would say try to keep college as low cost as you can, because I can tell you. It really doesn't matter the degree you get in, get it too much. It doesn't really matter the school. It's about the connections that you make in this and the in-demand skills that you build while you're in college. So getting internships, learning how to communicate your value, making connections. It doesn't matter what school you go into. Don't go into all this debt if you don't even know what you want to go into in the future. Just get through college, get that degree, whatever. Start building connections and then focus on your income in your 20s because you might not know exactly what you want to do in your career, in your life. I truly believe you have, everybody has two careers, at least in their world, like in their life. <laughs> At least I've had like five careers. So yeah, at least where you go into or the job you go into. And then you have the actual career when you find out what your purpose is in life, which is what you're doing right now on the side, you know, this wealth management, helping people become financially literate is the same for me. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I saw recruiting was lucrative. I went into it. I had no emotional ties. I wasn't lit up by it, but it paid a lot of money and it allowed me to now 
become basically where I financially am able to jump into my business full time. So that's my advice for people who are about to go into college is try to keep your debt low, build up your foundation, build up your, your, your high demand skills, communication, sales, you know, like technology. There's so much stuff you can do. Get into a job, focus on income. So don't stay at one company because statistically speaking, you stay at one company, you're not going to get these crazy raises. Keep always being networking and then negotiate negotiate and then once you figure out what you really want to do you can because now you have all this money that you've been investing and building and stuff in your 20s you have low debt because you didn't take out these crazy student loans and now you can do whatever you want and I see this a lot with doctors actually it's like people are so passionate obviously about medical space but you're in school for so long like I'm I'm 29 right now and I have a friend messaging me she's like shit like I went through all this medical school she's like I love it she's like but I just want to do ceramics all day. I just want to make pots. And she's like, now I have 400K of student loans and I have to make make some really nice pots. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, versus me, I'm like, I, you know, didn't go into anything I was like super passionate about after college, but I focused on making a lot of money and now I can do what kind of whatever I want. So do you think Gen Z is like the generation of the side hustle maybe, or the multiple streams of income? Yeah. I mean, statistically speaking, they, there have been a number of articles out how Gen Z because everyone likes to say, oh, the generation after me is lazy. They don't work. Millennials got a mm-hmm. huge brunt of this. But actually, you start seeing with Gen Z, they have the most side hustles and side gigs historically than any other generation before them. So it's like they're not lazy. They want to work, but they're not going to settle for a company that's not paying them well, that's not treating them well. When there's when people are making 30-second TikToks for 10 grand on the internet, it's like they're going to go into a field where they're actually excited about that is a lot less stressful you know, there's, there's, they have more options than we did, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Of course. I think the internet opens up a lot of things in these platforms. So I, I want to be respectful of your time, but you know, one last question I really want to talk about is, well, first of all, there are these platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and now there's all kinds of people on there saying all kinds of things. And they, it does make knowledge more accessible to women and anyone, but we're talking about women, about money and finances. My first question is, is how would you advise women or people who are on the internet looking at these platforms to vet the people that are giving it out advice? Because there's a lot of people that give out advice about financial topics and I never know who's qualified to be talking about what and yeah. whether, and I have listened to some TikTok vid- videos on finance that are absolutely frightening on so many levels that I would hope no one would follow that advice. But how do you, what advice do you give to people about kind of vetting who they're listening to? Yeah. And I hope people vet me too. I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have, I'm not a, a, like a degree. I don't have a financial advisory degree. I didn't study this in school, you know? So it's a very fair question. I would say per, first thing is personal finance is personal. So if you hear somebody did a guaranteed strategy or whatever and made like a hundred grand, it's like, okay, well, we don't know their full story. So always kind of be a little bit you know, skeptical of, of, of like what these people's backgrounds are and the facts and what set them up to do X, Y, and Z, but also always go and I mean, Google is a free resource and there's so many good available, you know, fact articles on Google. So you can always fact check and go and look at reviews. I think reviews speak volumes as well. And then of course, I always say, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It's it, Yeah, it's too good to be true, right? <laughs> Go invest in these four stocks. They're going to make you a millionaire. And by 2030, it's like, based on what? 
you know, like that's, that's not. Yeah, and, there, and then, and it's so irresponsible because I've actually seen mainly guys on TikTok talking about particular stocks and then recommending how to buy the stocks and the bro. I'm just like, oh my God, because as you know, this is not, you're not allowed to do that under the rules of FINRA and nor should anyone listen to anyone saying that. And that includes like, if you're, if you watch any kind of stuff on television about finances, just try not to pay attention to any of that stuff. A lot of it is alarmist too. I want to ask you one final, well, probably my penultimate question um, mm. real quick. So say somebody, uh, first of all, you have this platform, you have some courses, you do consulting, it sounds like, and coaching with individuals. Tell me a kind of an example of a client or someone who's worked with you, how their journey started and how they, mm. you know, can keep it an honest bit, how they benefited, what happened in their life and how they they grew financially from the way that you, like, give me an example of how you would coach them because people might want to reach out to you for that experience. I mean, I have people from all different backgrounds who I work with. I would say like a client that just stands out to me was a woman who was a single mom. She's 28 years old. She just had a daughter and she was like in credit card debt, had no idea of like what steps to take in what order with her money. And she was making okay money, you know, but again, as a mom, like, so sorry, your question is like, what steps? So the transformation was we got her foundation set up, got her out of credit card debt, got her on a plan to build an emergency fund. And then as a mom, I always recommend a little bit extra cushion in your emergency fund if you have kiddos. Yeah. And then on top of that, we once we got her 401k set up and on track to be worth well over a million dollars at retirement, she's only 28. Then we set up a 529 for her, for her daughter, so that her daughter would have at least 15 to 20k going into her education. So were you like, was she checking in with you or were you saying, okay, here's, here are the steps, here's your homework, go do this. And then we're going to meet back again and see where you're at. I have two types of programs that people can work with me. I have a more hands-off where I have a self-guided course that comes with a 30-minute coaching call, but then it also comes with office hours twice a month. So they can come in, ask questions. And that one is at a lower price point. Maybe someone whose finances aren't so complicated. Like this woman is perfect. She had a nine to five. Like that's it. You have some credit card debt. You have a little student loan debt. You have a kid. We can handle all that. Then I have a I have private coaching, which obviously is a bit more of an investment, but it's a bit more hands-on. This is three months of coaching calls with me. And this is for the woman who maybe like, is married, they have dual incomes, they have three kids, and they have no idea where their money is going. There's a lot of moving parts. Or a Mm -hmm. new business owner, right? A new business owner who hasn't really ever managed her personal finances, and then she's adding a business on top of it. And there's all of these different layers that they need to get organized. So that would be a great person for private coaching or someone who's making a ton of money, and they just never learned how to organize it. And they're just blowing through it. And they're just spending it all. Yeah. Like, for example, I have a client making over 400k spending the entire check every single month who I just started working with. Like, you know, and these are very, these are real people. So someone in that capacity is probably better for private coaching, but someone whose finances aren't so complicated, they just need a little bit of structure. How do I get started? Okay, let me get my 401k, my taxable brokerage thing set up. Like they're perfect for my, more my course. So those are my two And are you doing with these private coaching? I mean, so the person who's spending 400,000 a year, I don't know if they have a family or if it's just them and they're living life very large, but- you know, do you also kind of feel in some ways you're doing some behavioral therapy with them in financial yeah. behavioral therapy? Because a lot of our relationship with money is 
is totally in our heads and how we feel and think about money. But it's a very, you know, we have to make sure that we don't make knee-jerk behavioral kind of decisions about money because sometimes that can come around and and bite us in the bottom. So, how, you know, are you also kind of thinking of yourself as a behavioral coach in some ways when it comes to finances? Exactly. It's money therapy. So a lot of people come in and they cry and I, I hold space for them because a lot of the times I'm the first person they've ever talked with about money at all. But for this person, exactly, it's behavioral. And I always say, it's just like, there's so much unconsciousness that happens with spending nowadays. Like we swipe, we add to cart, we Venmo and then we 100%. ignore yeah. So step one is just awareness. So I do, you were talking earlier about, oh, there's so many apps you can use to track your expenses. I actually make my clients manually track because an app can tell you what you spent at the end of the month. But if you actually have to go and enter in your numbers, I have a planner that is like a bestseller. It's awesome where people are actually manually entering it in. It adds this awareness back into their spending. So that's like step one, month one of working with me is like, let's get you understanding where your money is going and coming when I, when you track for the first time, I always say the same thing. Let it come from a very non-judgmental place. Let's just start seeing where you naturally were spending money on because when people try to change everything at once, they get overwhelmed. Yeah. And they stop. Don't judge, just enter it down. Just say, take notice of what we were spending because right now where we're at is the worst you're ever going to be. It's only up from here. We're only going to move from here. So let's stop going any further. Let's start doing little changes and then it goes from there. And somebody making that much money, what's also powerful, even though they were blowing it all, is that little changes, like that's all they need. And then all of a sudden it's moving forward for them because they're making a lot of money, like they can catch up pretty quick too. So when you say manually track, you have them putting it into some sort of like program that you set up like a... I have a Google Sheet. It's like an Excel planner that at yeah. the beginning of the month, you can put your projected numbers and then you can actually track and whatever you track goes right next to the projected so you can see your actual numbers next to what you projected. And what do you think the time commitment for someone is? Because I think that's a great idea because I think when you actually, like I'm, this is what I say to people, if you are categorically not going to do this and you need an app to help you do it, then take the app because it's better than nothing. But I also know for myself, I'm much better when I'm granular and I'm actually physically in my case, either typing it in or writing it down because that's my come to Jesus moment. I did this. I spent this. Why did I do this? And and that is kind of like, you know, it's much more impactful. But um, I just want to know, so how you're getting people to commit to this, which I think is awesome. And you say, okay, you know, it only takes like an hour a week or something. How does a time management of this go? Yeah. So in my private coaching, I say to do it twice a month, once halfway through the month where you do the first two weeks, but someone like that woman I said to do it weekly because she has a lot of money going in and out. So I'm like, it's going to be a lot to wait to two weeks in. And then I have them actually put a calendar link or invite or whatever in their calendar and and to add me to it so I can check in on them. So that's like, that's why private coaching is so powerful because it's very much like, I'm holding you accountable, but I'm also supporting you and I'm checking in with you because at this point, we just need to start building these habits because this isn't a habit yet. It's not a habit to track, yes. but eventually you do this for 30, 60 days and it's every single Friday and it doesn't take long. It's 20, 30 minutes. That's it. You just have to do it. And in your twenties, this can fly. You don't need to know where your money's going as much in your twenties. Although I do believe it's so powerful to start in your twenties, but when you're older in your thirties and your forties, it's not an option anymore. It's an adult thing. You have to know how much money is coming in and how much is going out. Like you, I always say like, treat yourself like Think of yourself like a business. If I were to tell you that Apple had no idea how much money they spent in Q1, what the heck? It's the same thing for you. Why is it any 
any different. And you don't have to do this for forever. Eventually you can go to the apps, but I always say if you've never done this before, do over 30 to 60 days because you really start to see habits in your spending, identify your triggers. Maybe you didn't even realize every time you go to the grocery store, you're grabbing Starbucks on the way. At one point in your life, this was a treat. And you're like, oh my God, it's so special. But then it became a habit. You know, it's really hard to backtrack from a lifestyle increase like that. It's really hard to go back. But I always say to my clients, I'm like, remember when you were in college and how you used to make like a hundred bucks spread throughout the entire month? I'm like, you've been there before. You can do yeah. it again. And it's like, people just get used to these little lifestyle things. So the first thing is just awareness. And then it's showing them the value of, of if they do something instead, like I always do opportunity cost. If you invest this 200 or $400 instead, look at how much money you're going to have in retirement. You just shaved off five years from your work life by doing that. And a lot of times when people aren't investing, they've seen their money work for themselves in the past through for the form of debt, right? Like they paid off their mm-hmm. debt. They see it work for them in the present. They buy them something nice. They get a moment of like excitement, but they haven't seen themselves, their money work in their future. Once they start seeing that and they just start like seeing their money start making them money, that's when it starts to like click of, okay, I need, this is why I need to be investing, So it's like getting to them to these moments of like, you can continue on this trajectory. This is what your retirement is going to look like, or we can make these little changes and you just got half a million dollars more. Yeah. And you're, you have to like, I think you're so wise. God bless you. At such a young age, you are a super wise woman and you're spreading the word. And I love that. But you know, you have to remember about your future self. And I think for me in particular, I didn't do that, which is why I'm so passionate about telling women today, please remember your future self. I didn't do that. And I'm going to have to work for a very long time to play catch up for all the things that happened to me and the poor decision making I made, not only with respect to finances, but, you know, the commingling of my assets and the, the decisions I made concerning my relationships with money and my hus- my ex-husband and on and on. But your future self is really out there and you need to think about that. And I think Haley's way of doing this is so brilliant because it isn't like you have to, you know, like climb Mount Everest. You can make these really small doable changes with some commitment and just change your whole future self's life. And the other thing I would say too is really important to talk to someone like Haley too when you start a family. I think when children get involved, it's very easy for money to start flying out the window without anyone knowing where the heck it's going because there's lessons and there's medical expenses and there's school trips. And I don't know, there's just a billion things that happen with kids that you are just like, so busy and tired half the time, you're just like, yeah, whatever. And also sometimes if you want to educate your kids and there's a a tuition or tutors or whatever, there's always a million things. So someone like Haley can help you, you know, really sit down and say like, where, where is our money going? Because it's a snowball. And then before you know it, it's too late. Okay. So any final words of wisdom to the audience before we end this? Yeah, I would just say you can make changes a lot faster than you think you can. And if you're thinking, I don't want to be in this same spot I'm in this time next year financially, you might be at that point where you're like, all right, I'm ready to make a change. And if you've tried to do it on your own and you're just you just keep falling off, then that's the point where you can hire like a coach or get some support because that support is out there. And there's no shame in doing that. I hire support like business coaches all the time for my business. You know, people fi- hire fitness coaches. So it's there's no shame in seeking help. 
And, and the last thing is you're not behind. I think I hear that a lot. It's like, oh, I'm so behind. I wish I started earlier. But you didn't. Let's get started now. Let's, you know, see what we got to do. Hey, I, I had to change my whole life at 53. So, you know, for the lack of uh, not too big a point on this, stuff happens along the way. And as prepared as you might think you are, sometimes things happen. So you can't let that mindset hold you back because we are organic people that are always transitioning and changing throughout our lives. Um, I even see it with my 90-year-old parents, you know, like mm-hmm. we go through these and transitions. I, I misguidedly thought, oh, you know, when I'm 60, because back then I thought that was old, you know, I'll have it all figured out. I'm in my 60s. I don't have it all figured out. I kind of have some of it figured out. I'm doing my best. But as long as you're trying and you keep, you know, making strides forward, that's all you can ask of yourself. Well, I think this has been amazing. Haley, where can everyone find you? Um, I think the easiest way is on Instagram. If people have Instagram, it's Fem Financial Coaching or on TikTok, Femme Financial, or my website, but wherever. Um, you're on Instagram, right? I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm at The Fiscal Feminist. I'm on TikTok, at The Fiscal Feminist. If someone wants to have you as a coach, do they go through the website or do they reach yeah. out to you on Instagram? They can just DM me on Instagram. I go through all my DMs. So they can just message me on Instagram. You can email me, Haley, H-A-L-E-Y, at FemmeFinancialCoaching.com as well. Well, I think anyone who's listening to this um, who is on the brink of fed upness with where they're at and they want to make some great changes, they need to reach out to Haley. I think you've been an absolutely wise guest with many great, you know, kind of tips and ideas for strategy and thoughtfulness. So this is someone on social media that you should be listening to and that you should be reaching out to. Also, I would ask you all to pick up a copy of The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women on Amazon or uh, in the bookstore or wherever you may be where you can get your hands on a book. Um, And please review it if you do read it. It's been a pleasure, Haley. Thank you so much for joining me today. You've just imparted so much wisdom. So I hope that people reach out to you because I think you're very wise and I like what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.